They had a tendency to try to group people into two groups. In fact, I have one friend that once said there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who group people in two groups and those who don't. We might be tempted to group the world into two different groups and say that there are those who believe in God and those who don't. But in fact, we could even take that division and divide it even further in order to be more accurate. For instance, among those that we say don't believe in God, there are those who are confident that there is no God, and we call those atheists. But then there are those who believe that there might be a God, but they're just not sure, and we call them agnostics or skeptics. Now, we can take the folks who believe in God, and we can divide them down into further groups as well. For instance, there are those who believe in God, and there are those who actually believe God. And that's two different things. The first one believes that out there somewhere there is a God who has done something or is doing something. There is a being that exists. But those who actually believe God, they take what He says, and they accept it, and they follow it. And that's the difference in those groups. Now, the thing that we need to understand about that, though, is, is that as we are growing in faith, there's going to be struggles. We want to divide everybody up into those two groups, but in reality, I think all of us at all times are in flux in our faith. We're growing, and, and so there are times that we have strong faith about God and strong faith in what He said, and there's, there's times that we have some doubt. In fact, if we look at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter says, For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And then in verse 8, he says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Do you see what that says? That says that the quality may be ours, and yet at the same time may not be as full as we would hope, and as full as God wants, or as full even as we want it. Because Christianity is a growth process. And so, even while having faith, there, there may be times when we struggle with that doubt. Of course, what we're striving to grow toward is that standard found in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs 3 and verse 5, where the proverbialist said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That is where we're striving to get. We're striving to get to that point of where we trust with all our heart. And yet still, as we grow in Christ, there are going to be those struggles, and there's going to be those trials, there's going to be those problems. And I think perhaps there is no greater example of this concept of faith in flux than what we see in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Peter getting out on the water. Certainly a man of faith. And yet Jesus said, why did you doubt? I would just like for us to consider four things from this text that helps us as, as we struggle with that idea of believing, not just believing in God, but actually believing God. 
And as we struggle and grow in that faith and increase and supplement our faith with knowledge and virtue and self-control, that quality might be ours and it might be increasing. Before we look at this text, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Great and glorious God in heaven, You are awesome beyond our imagination. You are praiseworthy. You have created this world. You've spoken into existence. And it's by Your power that it continues. And we are amazed at what You have done, what You do, what You can do. We're thankful that You have created this world in a way that is suited for us and allows us to live here. But more than all of that, Father, we praise You because You have saved us. We turned our backs on You, all of us. And yet You sent Your Son to die for us anyway. And we pray that You would strengthen us in our faith, strengthen us to live by the faith that we have, and strengthen us to grow in faith. May we trust You with all our hearts. May we acknowledge You in all our ways. And through that, Father, would You please establish our steps. Almighty God, we love You so much and ask You for Your forgiveness because of the times that we've turned from believing You, from the times that we've pursued our own course and thought our way was better. Help us to have faith in Your way. and Help us to reach out to Your Son that we might be saved. We love You so much and we thank You for loving us. Through Your Son's name we pray. Amen. The very first thing that I want us to recognize is that as we look at this text that Brent just read to us moments ago, is that Peter really did believe in Jesus. Peter really did believe in Jesus Christ. Peter's the one who in John chapter 6 and verse 68 said to Jesus, To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Peter is the one who in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16 will say that everybody else has said you're John the Baptist or you're Elijah, but we have come to believe that you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Peter believed in Jesus. There is absolutely no doubt. And in fact, Peter believed that the person on the water was Jesus. He didn't doubt that. He says, Jesus, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, command that I come out on the water. And Jesus says, come. But we need to understand that when Jesus says, come, that is not proof. If Peter wasn't convinced that that was Jesus already, just somebody out on the water saying, come on out, that wouldn't prove it. Peter believed in Jesus. Peter believed that that was Jesus that was standing out there on the water, and his faith was demonstrated by this one simple fact. He got out of the boat. I want you to picture what's going on here. This is, this is not even a, a calm lake. I mean, the boat is being rocked back and forth. It's being shaken by the wind. It's, it's being uh, pushed back and forth by the waves. And yet Peter climbs out of that boat onto the water. Peter believed in Jesus. And there's no doubt that that is the case. And yet, and yet when this whole thing was over, Jesus in verse 31 says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here is the point. That Peter has faith. And yet Peter still needs to grow in faith. And that's where we find ourselves. We have faith. We're here today because we have faith that God is out there. We're here today even because most of us believe God when He says things like, 
Come together and encourage one another. Don't forsake the assemblies that we need one another. We believe those things, and so we're here. And yet still, we need to be growing in our faith, and we need to be overcoming the doubts that we have within that. Just like Peter. Peter believed it was Jesus. In fact, when he was thinking, he still believed it was Jesus. That's why he cried out, Lord, save me. And yet what Jesus demonstrates is that he needs to be growing in his faith. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. But I want to highlight this a little bit more. Peter did not just believe in Jesus. Peter committed to obeying Jesus. This was not just some mental ascent. This was not just in his mind he agreed to some facts that out there on the water was Jesus Christ and that Jesus could keep him on top of the water if he stepped out there. This is, this is not just some mental ascent. This is a faith that led to some obedience. Because when Jesus said, come, what did Peter do? He got out on the water. Brothers and sisters, that's commitment. I think for most of us, we'd take a look at that and say, that's pretty amazing faith. I think most of us, in moments of honesty, would say that when Jesus said, come, you know, we, we've spoken up and we've been a little bit rash and we've said, hey, Lord, if that's you, let me come out on the water. And he says, okay, we'd have probably said, uh, well, wait, wait a minute. I, I, I didn't really mean that. Kind of reminded me of when I was in Texas. I was visiting one of our elders in the hospital. He'd been having some heart trouble, and, and I walked in and I did what Christians are supposed to do, and I said, "Brother Weston, is there anything I can do for you while you're in the hospital?" He said, "Could you cut my grass?" Well, now, Brother Wesley, when I said that. Uh, I, I didn't really expect you to say yes. You know, I think that might be what we would do when Jesus said, yeah, come on out, walk on the water. Well, hold on a sec, Jesus. I was really just trying to, I was really just trying to look good in front of these guys, really. Let's not take this too far. But that's not what Peter did. Peter stepped out of the boat. And even though we commonly say that the only person who's ever walked on water is Jesus, that's just not true. Peter walked on the water. I want us to understand this, that when we're talking about a growing faith, when we're talking about someone who has some doubts, we're not just talking about somebody who's just completely weak. Here's a strong person that has strong faith that is committed in obedience, and yet still that faith is in flux. And it still has to grow. And that's where most of us are. We have faith. We have commitment. Peter took that first step out onto the water and yet still had to grow in faith. And that's where most of us are. We've taken that first step into the water, if we might make that connection. Being baptized into Christ. We've got that faithful obedience, but that doesn't mean it's all over. That doesn't mean we're just done and now we just go on. Now we've got to grow and increase in our faith and, and let that faith take over our lives. But the third and really the most important thing that I want you to see, and this is the one we're going to spend just a little bit of time with, is that seeing the wind, Peter doubted Jesus. Seeing the wind, Peter doubted Jesus. When all this was done, as we said earlier in verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What did Peter doubt? Did Peter doubt that it was Jesus? No. Did Peter doubt that Jesus was strong enough to keep him on the water? No. 
What did Peter doubt? Peter got out onto the water. And as he looked around and saw the winds and the waves, and as he's walking to Jesus, he doubted that Jesus' way was best. He began to realize for just a moment that, you know what? The best place is not out here on the water, but back there in the boat. That's what his doubt is. Jesus has said, come out onto the water, and now that I'm here, I'm not so sure that his word was such a good idea. That's where Peter is. And how often is that where we are? How often is it that we've believed in God, we've believed God, we've made our step, first step of obedience and we've committed ourselves to God, but then when we get out there in the winds and the waves of life, we begin to wonder if Jesus' way really is best. I'll just think of a few examples. In our own emotional lives, in our own struggles with sin and turmoil and the pressures that come on us, we all believe in God. We believe that God is the source of all blessing. We believe that God has given us His Word so that we might be holy and that we might be fulfilled and we might be complete in Him. And we might have all blessings. But then we see the winds and the waves of life and the turmoil that we deal with. We see the sicknesses. We see the fights and the fussing. We see the, the, the struggles that sin has caused in the world and, and the emotional turmoil that that throws at us. And, and we begin to believe that maybe God's way isn't best. Now, we wouldn't say that. We'd never say that. We just ignore the passages that tell us what to do with these things. For instance, in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 when it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, says that we should cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. But when we face those anxieties, when those concerns and those troubles come up, instead of casting those on the Lord, instead of putting those in His hands, do, yes, doing what we can do, doing what God has given us the strength to do, but putting it in God's hands and just letting Him take care of us, Instead of doing that, we worry and we fret and we try to manipulate and manage and basically try to play God in the world as if we can fix everything. Instead of simply surrendering our lives to Him, doing what we know is right and just trusting Him to take care of His children, as He said. We believe in God. But maybe struggle with believing God. Think about the havoc that has been wreaked in families because of doubting God. Now, we all know that God at the beginning instituted the family. He created Adam and then He created Eve because Genesis 2.18 says it was not good that man should be alone. God did that. God made that choice. And He instituted that family and marriage began and then children came onto the scene. And we know that God has given us His Word so that we might know how to be holy in our marriages and how to be holy in our families, how to be complete and how to be fulfilled. And yet then sometimes doubt comes in. After we say the I do's, maybe it's a week or a month or a year or a couple of years, or maybe it's when kids come along. 
And we see the winds and the waves because maybe it's finally that we realize that it's really two different people who have come into this marriage and, and things are just different. Their family culture and our family culture just wasn't the same and it's causing some turmoil. Or maybe children came on the scene and, and while everything was great when it was just uh, the two, one, once children come onto the scene, it's a completely different ball game and, and we just weren't ready for that. Maybe we had children too quickly, or, or maybe it's the fact that we tried and tried and tried to have children and we just can't. Maybe it's at some point our spouse has seemed to change so much that the person we dated and the person we're married to are just two different people. We begin to struggle and we begin to doubt. We believe in God, but we don't believe God. So, I mean, we wouldn't say that. But just in the way we live, we just discard what God has said. Perhaps it is that the, the husband, instead of being the, the self-sacrificing servant leader, has decided to isolate off to himself and just follow his own goals. Or, or perhaps the wife, instead of striving to be submissive and, and, and support the husband, has just decided to pursue her own goals. Or, or maybe it's that the parents have decided not to worry about training the kids. Or, or who knows, maybe it's that the husband and wife, one or both of them, have decided that they would be happy with someone else, and so they pursue affairs and divorce. I mean, we would never say, oh, I don't believe God. But sometimes in the way we live, we're expressing that doubt that, that maybe Jesus' way just isn't the best way. Maybe I've got a better way that will make me more happy. Or think about how doubt wreaks its havoc on our understanding of God's plan for us and, and salvation. And we believe in God. We believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. We believe that we're saved by the grace of God through faith. And we recognize that we must respond in faith to what Jesus has done on the cross. We know what Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Scripture says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And we know what Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, just very clearly Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said to the crowd, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We understand that as we place these verses together, what it is that we must do in response to the death of Jesus Christ so that by faith we might be saved. We understand that we've got to believe that Jesus did this. We understand that we need to confess our faith in Jesus. We know that we need to turn away from our sins. We can't just keep living in sin and think Jesus is going to save us. We know that we need to submit to Jesus in baptism for the remission of our sins. And we understand that we're supposed to continue to grow as we read in Second Peter chapter 1 a few moments ago. Let's read the entire passage there. Second Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. In Second Peter chapter 1, and verse 5, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand what it is that we must do to come into Christ, and we understand that we've got to stay in Christ. 
We know that we have to hear and believe. We know that we have to confess our faith and repent of our sins and submit to Jesus in baptism and then grow in Christ. We understand that's what we must do. But then all of a sudden we see the winds and waves around us and we begin to doubt. On two different angles on this, sometimes we begin to doubt the side of God's grace. We begin to look at the sins that we've had and the continued struggles that we have as we grow and we begin to think that, well, you know, I know that God has a lot of grace, but I don't think He has enough for me. And we begin to think that what's the point in even trying? And some fall out because of that doubt. But then there are others on the other side that begin to doubt what God has asked of us and the response that we're supposed to give. And we recognize that even most churches in the world today don't teach what those verses have just said. And we realize that believing this really puts us in a minority position. And we start to think that, wait a minute, maybe if so few people actually believe that we have to do these things and respond to God in this way, maybe we don't. We start to backtrack and, and start to equivocate and start to say that, well, maybe we don't have to do those things. And I, you know, if somebody hasn't done those things, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about that. And we begin to doubt. And then we just quit teaching the gospel that actually saves people. Because we're so afraid of offending them. And I'll tell you what we need to be afraid of is meeting them on judgment when we haven't taught them what it really says. That's what we need to be afraid of. Doubt wreaks havoc in our understanding of Scripture. We've got to grow in our faith. Or another example. And consider the church, the local congregation, and what God has placed us here to do. We understand that when Jesus died on the cross in order to establish His church, that He did it for a reason. He didn't establish His church to be able to do every possible good thing in the world for all of history. He didn't do that. He established His church for specific reasons. We can find in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. In Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 20 and 21, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus established the church so that we might glorify God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what the local church is supposed to be doing. And we recognize 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. If I delay, you may know. This is 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul writing to Timothy. He says, I'm writing to you. If I delay, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is here to glorify God and to uphold God's truth. Why do we want to uphold God's truth? I think Jesus explains that in John chapter 8. And verse 32, in John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus just very simply says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we understand. We have faith. We believe God. We believe in God. We believe Him when He says that this is what the church is to do. But then we see the winds and the waves of all that opposition that's out there and people begin to 
to question and, and, and call us names and, and make fun and mock and we start to back off. You see, we believe that we're supposed to glorify God and it's only glorifying God if we do it His way. And so instead of just doing anything and everything that we might want to do, we've recognized that we need to do what He says. We need to find authority in Scripture. Just surrendering to His will because we want to please Him and we want to glorify Him. And, and you know, just in a, a practical way. That's why when we, when we go to worship God and edify one another in song, we don't use instruments of music because we just don't find that in Scripture. We want to glorify God His way. And we're surrendering ourselves to that. When it comes to the work of the church, we realize that, that we want to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. We don't want to get distracted by all kinds of other things. That, that, that folks might think are good. And so, so we don't have fundraisers for, for the American Cancer Society, and we don't have fundraisers for the American Diabetes Association, and, and we don't put out all of these things that are, that are we don't have inner-city soup kitchens. Are all those good things? Of course they're good things. That's just not the good thing that God has established His church to do. So we surrender ourselves to just let the church accomplish what God wants us to do because we realize if we get distracted, we won't do what God wants us to do. And yet then we have the opposition and we see some churches that are involved in all kinds of things and it seems to have some success because they're drawing people in. But are they glorifying God the way God wants? Is that congregation accomplishing what God wants the church to accomplish? And yet we start to down and we see the winds and the waves and we start to sink and back off and instead of completely surrendering to God and to His will, we start adding in all these other things. I'm sure we could come up with, with other examples. But the thing is, is that when we start looking around at the winds and the waves, instead of looking at Jesus and His Word, we're going to start having doubts and we're going to start sinking. And that's just going to happen. But the fourth thing is that we need to recognize what Peter did when he began to doubt. When Peter began to doubt and he began to sink, when he saw the winds and the waves and things started causing him to question, he started doubting whether or not what Jesus had said to him about coming out onto the water was really the best thing for him. He started sinking. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Can you hear him? How do you think he said that? I think it was just kind of, hey, hey, uh, Lord, could you, could you save me over here? Or do you think it was more like a despairing, absolutely, hey, I, there's nothing I can do, come get me saved. Lord, save me! It's that kind of pride that says utter dependence. There's not anything I can do over here. And that's where Peter was. You see, Peter understood this. And this is something I hope we can get from this. Just having doubts is not going to condemn our soul. Just having questions is not going to condemn us. Peter had a doubt, but Jesus saved him. The question is not whether or not we'll ever have doubts, because we all will. The question is what will we do when we have them? Peter turned back to Jesus. And that's the thing that we need to do. Sadly, too often when we have our doubts, 
instead of turning back to Jesus, we turn to our own experiences, or we turn to our own intelligence, or we turn to the wisdom of the world. And all that does is cause us to keep thinking. What we need to do is turn back to Jesus. But here is our problem. When Peter was out there on the water and he began to have doubts, it became pretty evident pretty quick that he was sinking. Our problem is, is that sometimes it's not quite so evident that we're sinking. We're not standing on water, and the moment our faith doubts, we just plunge down into the water. And so we're not always aware that we're sinking. And that just means that we need to pursue what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Be on the alert regarding what's going on in our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We want to be aware of when we're actually thinking. We've got to be in the Word and we've got to be rightly handling it. We've got to be using it accurately, applying it to our lives accurately. That's when we'll be able to see when the things are happening. And we know that what we need to do then is turn back to Jesus. Get into His Word. Study what He says. Cry out to Him, Lord, save me. And Jesus may reach down and pick us up. And he may even chastise us a little bit. Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? But he will reach down and lift us up. He will challenge us to move forward. And he'll continue to walk with us. I think perhaps one of the most important things about this story is that when it's done, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you didn't cut it, you can't be one of my disciples anymore. Rather, Peter went on actually to be one of the leaders among the disciples. And we need to recognize that. We need to see that we are all people with, with faith and flux, as, you, as, as we might say. We believe in God, and we've committed to obey God, but sometimes we're still going to struggle. But what that means is we've got to be on the alert. Instead of turning to all manner of other things, we need to get deeper in Jesus. We need to cry out to Him and put our hand in His and ask Him to save us. Trusting Him. 